Chapter Fifteen of Babu Jabberjee, B.A. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Madcap. Babu Jabberjee, B.A. by F.A. Anstey. In which Mr. Jabberjee is asked out to dinner. Unreasonable behavior of his betrothed his doubts concerning the social advantages of a boarding establishment with some scathing remarks upon ambitious pretenders he goes out to dinner and meets a person of some importance the pleasing impression produced by this humble self upon both mr and mrs all but in it at the wedding of their eldest daughter became speedily prolific of golden fruit in the request of the honour of my company for dinner at eight fifteen on a subsequent evening incidentally recounting this prime compliment to my lovely jessamina i was astounded that she did not share my jubilations but was on the contrary the sore subject at not being included in such invitation which as i explained was totally irrational seeing that the inviters remained unaware of her nude existence she however maintained that i ought to have mentioned that i was an affianced and have refused to sit at any banquet at which she was fobbed off with a cold shoulder this again was absurd since the moiety of a loaf is preferable to total deprivation of the staff of life and moreover in my country it is customary for the husband-elect to take his meals apart from his bride that is to be nor does she ever touch food until he has previously assuaged his pangs of hunger notwithstanding she would not be pacified until i had bestowed upon her a gold and turquoise ring of best english workmanship as an olive branch and calumet of peace but outside porticobello house i have been close as wax on the subject of my flowery chains and it was especially inconceivable that i should inform my friend howard of same since he has frequently bantered me in wonderment that a respectable oriental magnate should reside in such a very ordinary and third-rate boarding establishment where it was an impossibility to gain any real familiarity with smart and refined english society and who knows that if i should introduce miss jessie into company of a superior caste some haughty masculine might insult her under my very nose and lackadaisy where would she find a protector i am certainly oppressed by an increasing dubiety whether mrs mankletow is verily such an upper crustacean and habitue of the beau monde as she did represent herself to be it is well-nigh incomprehensible that any individual should seek to appear of a higher social status than nature has provided but my youthful acquaintance all but in it junior esquire informs me that this is a common failing among the english classes who fondly imagine that nothing is needed to render a frog the exact equivalent to an ox except an increased quantity of air forgetting that if a frog is abnormally inflated it is apt to provide the rather ludicrous catastrophe 
of exploding from excessive swellishness. However, revenons à nous moutons, it is the dinner party. I intended to be the early bird at Prince's Square, but, owing to a rarity among the handsome cabs, did not arrive until most of the guests were already assembled, being welcomed with effusive hospitality by the household god and goddess, Mr. and Mrs. Albertinit, who begged leave to present me to all the most distinguished of their friends. Then, pop, and a l'improviste, the door was thrown open, and a butler announced, Ore Rotundo, Sir Chetwind Cummerbund, whom, in the wink of an eye, I recognised as an ex-justice of the very court in Calcutta, in which my male progenitor practises as a mukhtar, or attorney, and who, moreover, was familiar with myself almost ab ovo, having been more than once humbly presented to his notice by my said father, with a request for his patronising opinion of my abilities and the feasibility of my education at a London inn of court. Oh, my gracious! I was as if to sink through the carpet, and sought to draw in my horns of dilemma behind a column, when, to my uncontrollable dismay, my hostess led him towards me, with the remark that he was probably already acquainted in India with His Highness Prince Jabberjee. The honourable retired judge at this did merely smile indulgently, observing that India was a country of considerable extensiveness, and inquiring of me in my own tongue where my Raj was situated, and the strength of my army, though with a scintillation in his visual organs that told me he knew perfectly well. And I, realising that honesty was my best policy of insurance from his displeasure, did throw myself frankly on the mercy of the court, protesting volubly in native language that I was an industrious poor Bengali boy, and I had always regarded him as my beloved father, that I was not to blame because certain foolish, ignorant persons imagined me to be some species of Raja, and earnestly representing him that our kind mutual hostess would be woefully distressed by any disclosures. Let your honourable lordship, I said, only remain hermetically sealed, and preserve this as a trade secret, and my sisters, sisters-in-law, and aunts shall always chant hymns on the Ganges for your honour's felicities. His honour, laughing good-naturedly, did tell me that if I liked to assume the plumes of a daw, it was no affair of his, and kindly promised to respect my confidences, at which I was greatly relieved. Indeed, throughout the evening, nothing could exceed his affability, for, being seated on the other side of the hostess, opposite myself, he showed me the greatest honour and deference frequently requesting my views on such subjects as increased representation of the people of India, the National Congress, and so forth, upon which, being now perfectly reassured and at my ease, I discoursed with fecundity, and did loudly extol the intellectual capacity of the Bengalis, 
as evinced by marvellous success in passing most difficult exams, and denouncing it as a crying injustice and beastly shame that fullest political powers should not be conceded to them, and that they should not be eligible for all civil appointments pari passu, or even in priority to Englishmen. Wherein his honour did warmly agree, assuring me with a fatherly benignancy of the pleasure with which he would hear of my appointment to be head of a district somewhere on the Punjab frontier, and mentioning how a certain native Bengali gentleman of his acquaintance, Deputy Commissioner Girish Chandrade, Esquire, M.A., had distinguished himself splendidly, according to the printed testimony of Honourable Kipling, in such a post of danger. I replied that I was not passionately in love with personal danger, and that in any case, c'est don't arma togae, and my tongue was mightier than my sword, but that there was no doubt that we Bengalis were intellectually competent to govern the whole country, provided only that we were backed up from behind by a large English military force to uphold our authority, as otherwise we should soon be the pretty pickles owing to brutal violence from six Rajputs, Marathas, and similar uncivilized coarse races. And Sir Chetwind expressed his lively satisfaction that I appreciated some of the advantages of the British occupation. Thus, through my presence of mind in boldly grappling with the nettle, I turned what might have been a disaster into a conspicuous triumph, for all the company— seeing the favour I was in with such a big wig as Honourable Cummerbund, listened to me with spellbound enchantment, especially my friend Howard's sprightly young sister, a damsel of distinguished personal attractiveness, who was seated on my other side. Her birth-name is Louisa Gwendolen, but her family and intimates, so she did inform me, call her Wee-Wee, of the dinner itself I can speak highly, as being inexpressibly superior, both in stylishness of service, and for the quality of the food, etc., to any meals hitherto furnished by Mrs. Mankletow's mahogany board. Nevertheless, I wondered to find the all but in its behind the times in one respect, which is the lighting, which was with old-fashioned candles and semi-obscured lamps, instead of the more modern and infinitely more brilliant illumination of gas. Here at least, though in other particulars of very mediocre elegance, I must pronounce Porticobello House the more up-to-date. In taking leave, I did thank Honourable Sir Chetwind Cummerbund profusely for so discreetly retaining its feline contents within the generous bag of his mouth, whereat he clapped my back very cordially, advising me to abstain for the future from a superabundance of frills, since the character of a diligent legal native student was a precious lily that needed no princely gilding, and adding that he was indebted to me for a most entertaining and mirthful evening. This I do not understand as I had not uttered any of the facetious puns and conceits wherewith it is my wont when I will to set the table in a simper. 
but possibly I may have spoken rather humorously unawares, and it is proverbial that these exalted legal luminaries are pleased with a rattle and tickled by a straw. On my return, I did omit to mention Miss Wee Wee to Jessamina, but after all, qui bono? End of chapter 15 Recording by Madcap, London